one of the targets of the book is really the Cold War discourse, which have seen on the one hand the global south of some kind of proxies of the superpowers, and on the other hand, maintain that view of Eastern Europe as this kind of homogenous, uniform Soviet bloc. And this book shows that neither is true, but it also tries to work with the kind of perspectival construction of how the global south was a way to think about the architectural production in Eastern Europe and how Eastern Europe is a way to think about architecture and urbanization processes in the global south. That way of thinking architecture, which in many ways bypassed the West. My name is Łukasz Stanek and I'm an architectural historian and I'm the author of the book Architecture and Global Socialism, Eastern Europe, West Africa and the Middle East in the Cold War. One of the starting points was my work on Nova Huta, which is the so-called first socialist city in Poland, a new town which was designed during the late 40s near Kraków by an office which was called Miasto Projekt Kraków, a state office in socialist Poland. And when I was looking at the city and that design institute, I realized that the next big project was the master plan of Baghdad in the 1960s. And then I realized that there were so many other buildings and neighborhoods and whole cities which were designed by state socialist design institutes and sometimes constructed by state socialist enterprises and contractors. And so that was really kind of major ambition to write about these engagements, which evidently shaped so many urban landscapes around the world. But there was also another ambition to think in a different way, perhaps about modern architecture, about global urbanization, and to challenge and move away from the ways in which these processes were described or have been described. In other words, it is not a book about the diffusion of architecture from Western Europe and, or North America, and neither it is a book which kind of reduces urban globalization to questions of the colonial encounter or questions of the globalization of capitalism. Rather, it shows that urbanizations in the global south was shaped by local actors and others, namely those from socialist countries, in ways which have not been described until now. So the first chapter reconstructs the main actors of the book, including the post-colonial states and the socialist states and the main institutions which mobilized architecture and construction during the Cold War. But it also discusses the differing and evolving and sometimes contradictory motivations. And then the next chapters focus on five cities in question. So Accra, Lagos, Baghdad, Abu Dhabi, Kuwait City. And they look at the interaction between Eastern European actors and the local actors. So the questions of multilateralism is really, really important. At the same time, I understand this interaction as part of larger processes of global cooperation, which were instigated by a socialist countries, or, or what I called socialist world-making. And I show how these projects could mean very, very different things in each of these cities. 
I have chosen to look at cities and countries which, in a very self-conscious way and in a very strategic way, try to straddle all sorts of regional and global alliances. In fact, one of the kind of main targets of the book is this received vision from the Cold War that the world is divided into two halves or perhaps three parts, the socialist, the capitalist, and the non-allied. In fact, these three worlds and many more other worlds coincided in so many places and also evolved. What is called global socialism is not a coherent project. East Germany or the GDR were in the global south for different reasons than, for example, Poland or Hungary or the Soviet Union. So that multiplicity was very important. This question of neutrality in the Cold War is really interesting because in many ways, a lot of countries kind of aspired to or claimed neutrality. Israel and Scandinavia, but also Yugoslavia and even Romania. These were countries which claimed that they are certainly not some kind of proxies of the superpowers. And this was very, very attractive to the Global South countries, most of which aspired to their own path. I based my way of thinking about these processes on a number of authors. Henri Lefebvre, the French urban theorist, was one of them. In the 1970s, he already noticed this discussion about globalization, and he tried to make a point to think about the world as an experience, as a project, as a competing framework of practice. I also looked at the work of Edouard Glissant, the Martinican poet and writer and theorist, who made this, I think, really important observation, writing by the end of the Cold War, that the world cannot be anymore understood within these logics of expansion, as it was the case in the colonial period, but rather the world needs to be understood by the multiplicity of connections and the possibilities and violence that this multiplicity of connections entails. And so, for me, the concept of the world-making is precisely a way to think about how various projects of global cooperation and solidarity come together, whether in an antagonistic way, whether they are competing with each other, or how there are possibilities of connections and interaction and how they come together in a productive way. And the latter example is the topic of the chapter about Baghdad, where I show how architects and planners and managers of state socialist companies and their Iraqi counterparts work in this kind of liminal position. That is to say, the position between, on the one hand, the emerging market of design and construction services, which is very much dominated by the West, and on the other hand, the political economy of state socialism and how these actors on the ground try to avoid the hindrances which stem from, you know, this coming together of those two opposing political economies and at the same time how they tried to identify and exploit possibilities and opportunities which stem from these differences. (music) 
I kind of realized that by looking at those exchanges between architects from socialist countries and the architects and decision makers in the global south, this is really a new opportunity to rethink the relationship between architecture, politics, and economy. By looking very specifically at projects and minutes of discussions at, you know, reports from construction side, I was able to understand how such regimes as the regime of barter or the regime of gift or the regime of credit impacted architectural practices. So, for example, the exchange of a building for crude oil, as it was very often the case in the Middle East. Gift or barter were not just ways of distributing architecture, but there were also regimes of production of architecture. They impacted design decisions, they impacted programs, technologies, and the materiality of the building designed and constructed. But also, really crucially, they impacted the conditions of work of the architects and the conditions of collaboration with their local counterparts. When I came for the first time to Accra in Ghana, I met this Ghanaian architect who, as a young man, was a draftsman in the design office in the 1960s, which employed many Eastern European architects. And this man told me that he remembers these Eastern European architects very well because it was for the first time and for the last time that a white man had an African boss in Ghana. And I think this is, uh, this is an amazing statement. There is a kind of very personal experience of collaboration and you could kind of imagine that this is also a spatial experience because he was talking about that office and how people communicate in the office. But the sentence also kind of conveys that fragility of the moment, right? Because he says it was the first time, but it was also the last time. It kind of conveys the exceptional character of that first decade of independence where there was so much ambition, so much hope, so much enthusiasm, a real change. I am the first to admit that even in the material which I try my best to find the holes and the challenge of, you know, incomplete archive, fragmented archives, inaccessible archives, destroyed archives, was the main challenge. The world is a very big place and we cannot really grasp it from one place. And I think that work of reconnecting archives, connecting people to each other, however incomplete, however fragmented they might be, I think it both advances our knowledge about these processes, but also very much stresses the gaps. Lukasz Stanek's book, Architecture and Global Socialism, Eastern Europe, West Africa, and the Middle East in the Cold War, is out now from Princeton University Press. Go to thinkbelt.org slash interstitial for the transcript, recommendations for further reading and more episodes. While you're there, sign up for the newsletter. Interstitial is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Sound design is by Sam Clapp. I'm David Huber. More next week.